Welcome to All the Social Ladies, a podcast bringing you candid conversations with the boldest women in digital marketing. I'm Carrie Kirpin, CEO of Likeable Media, and let's get into the show. Hello, everyone. Today is a great day because I am talking to Tara Payrosh, who is the Chief Marketing Officer of True Religion Brand Jeans. I've been a True Religion brand fan for a long time. I'm really excited to hear what makes the brand tick and what makes Tara tick. Take a listen. Welcome, Tara, to the show. Thank you. Nice to be here. I'm so excited to have you all the way over in sunny Manhattan Beach. Very exciting. And I bet you the weather is beautiful there. I'm not going to lie. It's a little overcast today, but it'll get pretty nice in about an hour and a half. So yeah, we don't, we don't complain. It's just perpetually beautiful there. It is. It helps with your attitude with dealing with insane yeah. retail universe. So yeah, it helps. You bet. So I'd like to start by asking you about your career. And when I yeah. ask you about your career, I, I feel like the story of your career can be told by breaking it down into three moments. So why don't you give yeah. me like three moments that you really feel helped define or shape your career? I would say the very first one was the opportunity that I had very, very early on to interact with one of my mentors, who at the time was the executive vice president of advertising at The Gap. And I had been in the retail universe you know, working as a sales associate and moved my way up to store manager and all those wonderful things. But I knew that uh, retail was an area that I was very interested in. And she used to come into the store, quite frankly, and shop um, with us often. And one day she said, you know, what the hell are you doing here? Like, what are you doing in the store? What is? What are your aspirations? And nobody had ever actually asked me what my aspirations were at that time. It was just a constant you know, grind of, you know, full part, full-time school, full-time work and running around. And I said, you know, I actually want to be in marketing someday. I want to, I want to help shape conversations. And she said, well, why don't you come work for me? And it was just, it, it, it's sort of weird when I think back on it because I was a, you know, very young something yep, running around in the retail universe and having this woman who was in a significant position of power coming and saying, I think that you could do more was certainly defining for me because it was somebody showing confidence in me that I had yet to find myself. Absolutely. Yeah. Literally two weeks later, I was plucked out of the store and brought into corporate, which at the time, the gap then, that was an environment that was a, a bit of a white tower. Nobody ever knew what was going on in the advertising department. It was one of those things where, you know, they were shooting with Herb Ritz and Annie Leibovitz and doing the Elements of Style campaign, which is a monumental um, advertising campaign, quite frankly. I, I mean, anywhere you would look at it now and still it's relevant and fantastic. So that was just one of those things where it was like, holy baloney, that's pretty, that's pretty big. Okay. So I have a, a few questions about this first moment. Yeah. First of all, what do you think it was? What do you think that you showed within yourself for her to notice you, take an opportunity, you know, take that moment for that to happen. You had to exhibit something that stood out from others. What do you think that was? I think it was a sense of passion for where I was being excited about the position that I was in at the time that I was in it. I think that a lot of people take advantage of those little moments yep. in in, in not in a positive way. They they always look for the next thing. They're always looking for the next thing. And I, quite frankly, was happy with where I was. 
I hadn't even thought of what the next thing was because it didn't feel like I was done with where I was at the time. I still thought I had things to learn. So I was okay with where I was, but, but I was excited about it. I was energized about it. And I, I loved interacting with people and understanding what it was that they wanted and trying to service what they wanted. You know, watching you probably be passionate about the job you were in, I'm sure attracted her yeah. to you and made you see what, what potential you had. Yeah, I think she also knew because she knew my backstory. So she knew I was working full time, going to school full time. I think she also knew that I was committed and there were a variety of responsibilities that I had that I just dealt with. It, it wasn't, I wasn't trying to find an easy way out. Let's put it that way. And my next question for you about this moment, I found for me, I worked uh, in college at Express, so also a retail girl. I found that working in retail was essential uh, in terms of developing a skill set for later in life. Did you feel that way? And what did working in retail teach you? 10,000%. I agree with you. What working in retail taught me was the ability to have 17 balls in the air all at one time, never to panic, to methodically take one after the other after the other, so essentially prioritize, and do it with a sense of energy and commitment that if you work on a retail floor, yeah. you have to be a bit hardened to some degree. You want to be compassionate, obviously, with the people that come in and they want some information or they want some help. But you have to be hardened in that anything could happen at any time and you have to be prepared for it. Absolutely. And it sounds a little silly because it's we're, we're selling product. We're not curing disease. We're not. But people are passionate about when they shop. They have either a need to fill, obviously, or a desire to fill. And they're very, you know, I, I need to do this and I need to go from point A to point B. And retail taught me that you have to be on your toes constantly. You have to have as much information about what it is that you're trying to sell as possible. Because without product information, you're not going to be able to sell anything. People don't want your opinion. They want to know fact. So one thing that The Gap taught me incredibly well was anybody asks you a question, you always answer with factual information. Your opinion can be added at the end, but you start with the facts. Mm. So when you're talking about selling jeans, tell me how it fits. Tell me what the fabric does for me. Tell me, you know, what information do I, what are the sound bites that I need to have in order to help me make my decision either more effectively and or faster or both? Incredible. Okay. Tell me about number two, defining moment in your career. So I'm still at the gap. The woman who brought me in had since departed the company. And we had a new gentleman who came in who was my second mentor. And one day he came to me. Well, he actually came to the department when he first started. And he was like, first of all, this is not an advertising department. This is a marketing department. And that at the time was a foreign concept. People didn't understand that there was a difference between those two elements. Right. Right. And so... He basically had all of us in front of him and he said, you know, does anybody know what marketing is? <laughs> and of course, <laughs> I, studious, you know, I raised my hand. I'm like, I do. I know what it is. So we started talking about it and he said, you know, what's a brand? And so I, and I answered his question about, you know, emotional connection to a property to which people feel as though, you know, it can be your best friend. Obviously it serves a purpose, but it can be your best friend in some weird way. 
So we started talking about it and he was like, you know, after the meeting, he pulls me aside and he's like, where did you come from? What's your story? So I told him, came from the field, started as a salesperson, moved through, got pulled. Here's what, you know, here's the story. He said, so here's what I want you to figure out for me. I want to figure out how to change all of the messaging in all of our store windows the same day at the same time. Go figure it out. Ooh. And I was like, what? What are you, what are you, first of all, what are you talking about? I was a coordinator in the department and the, the window responsibility was held by a different department in the company, not marketing. And so not only was it a somewhat of a political campaign where I had to go to, you know, DMMs and, and GMs of businesses and say, yep. Hey, we're going to try this experiment and this is what we're going to do. And we want to do it on this day at this time and so forth. But it was a me little person going to these big giant people and saying, Hey, we want to try this and we want to see what would happen. What, what, what could we do with this, this experiment? So three, he gave me basically, this was at the beginning of a month. And he said, you have until the end of the month to figure it out. Now, mind you, we were in six countries at the time, maybe five countries at the time, actually. Um, but we had stores all over the globe. And A, it wasn't our responsibility. And B, we had all these people to coordinate. And it was just me trying to do it. That was absolutely defining because <laughs> you had to dig deep, figure out how to organize how you were going to talk to each one of these individuals. What, what were you going to say? How would you convince them that this quote unquote test would work? And in the end, we accomplished our goal. Wow. Starting from, you know, um, starting from Japan all the way across the universe. And at the end of it, it was a significant soundbite, which again, at the time was, we have five and a half miles worth of window space across the globe. We had a single message in every single one of those spaces that basically created a dominant conversation. And what that test taught us was that your store windows are a powerful media tool. And if you harness that media tool in connection with other media tools like outdoor, or TV or print at the time, you can really send home a message pretty crystal clear through all those tactics. The choreography of all of that is a feat unto itself. But if you can do it and you can, can, you can create some consistency with it, it can be a pretty powerful communication mechanism. Now, granted, all of this was before social even existed, but store windows are a mobilizer. And if you have that retail space, you're paying for the retail space already. So why aren't you using it more effectively? I love that. And getting you to think about uh, the, the greater whole of marketing versus advertising. Love that. Give me moment number yeah. three. Moment number three, I would say, to be honest, is probably right now. That's exciting. Well, I'm not done with it yet. It's hard to say what it's teaching me <laughs> yep. outside of maybe patience. But I have never worked in a brand that is in a position of turnaround. And this is truly a brand that started with a magnificent bang. Yep. And over time has aged. It's been in vogue. It's been 
not in vogue. You know, it's been committed to its heritage in some moments, walked away from its heritage. So, you know, it's, it's been very, um, I don't know, maybe a word to use is erratic. It's been up and down a lot. And I've yet to ever be in a position where you are trying to mobilize the way we did back then in an era where now you contend with social media, which presents all the power of how you define your brand into the hands of the consumer. Absolutely. Yeah. Back in the day, brands were able to determine what you knew or didn't know about the the brands that they loved or the companies that they loved. You were able to, quite frankly, filter what you wanted people to know and what you didn't. Now you don't have that opportunity. Not that, you know, you want to hide things from people, but there are some inner workings that you don't always want everybody to have, you know, because they're not always pretty. You know, as a brand, you want to present the best of yourself. And in advertising and in all of those things, you present yourself the way you want to be perceived. And in today's day and age, with the democratization of content, you are presented how others perceive you. And that affects your strategy. Tell me a little bit about what you're doing uh, to either have that work to your advantage or what you're learning from that. This is the weird part. And this is why I say that I think it's a defining moment in my career, because I'm seeing my own sense of self merging mm. into how I believe we should be communicating. Yep. This sounds very strange. And it sounds sort of strange as I even say it out loud. But the fact is, the more honest that you are about who you really are, and what you really believe in, and what you are willing to stay, take a stand on, is exactly the same as the way that you would think about a brand. In, in all of the teams that I've managed over the years, my biggest sort of piece of feedback that I've given to anybody, and, and, and what's interesting now is my entire team are millennials. Yep. I, this is a completely new universe for me. Totally. Every single time I've ever had conversations with them, I've always said, you are not the brand. You are not, um, you don't embody it. You are the ambassador to it. So when you have an emotion or a feeling or a thought, don't think of it through the lens of how you would internalize it. You have to think of it through the lens as the brand would. So the brand is its own separate entity. It's got its own feelings, its own thoughts, its own emotions its own likes and dislikes, and you are not it. So your personal opinion cannot be convoluted with the brand's opinion. And that can be very, very difficult for people to do because you spend so much time and invest so much of your own personal energy in trying to make things work or execute appropriately that it becomes somewhat convoluted. Those lines get blurred. So this time frame for me, though, has been interesting because it's forced me to get down to the absolute root of why people were attracted to this brand to begin with. And that sort of reality check is what I think we are thinking through. That compounded with all of the macro environments to which we deal with today, which is the transparency of social the the power that the consumer has around content creation and what they believe to be true about your brand, all of the macro environments around how you define premium, how do you define luxury these days, all those things have to contend with um, your strategic thinking 
into how you create a brand communication strategy. So all those things combined. So it's like you have macro and micro environmental trends that you have to deal with. And mm-hmm. you got to do that 24, 7, 365. There is no respite anymore. So how are you approaching social today at True Religion? Obviously, you're in this this big transition. You're looking at yourself, uh, you know, getting back to kind of the roots of what what originally made you so special. How are we getting that out in social media or are you not yet in that space? No, we are in the space. I would say that the position that we've taken and we've taken a bit of a uh, a more dominant position using Instagram, quite frankly, because yep. this brand has always been very, very visual. If you know yep. anything of true, you know that the heritage stitch, the iconic back pocket design, the iconography that's used throughout with our happy Buddha playing guitar, mm-hmm. um, all those things are visual cues to the brand. And so Instagram is a space that is critical for us. And I think what's different today than in times past, which when I say times past, I'm talking like 18 months ago. It's not yep. that long ago. We leverage consumer content. Mm-hmm. So if, if, if the consumer is creating something and saying, I, I, um, I'm taking the time out of my day to take a picture of myself and my trues, then they deserve a stage. They de- deserve an opportunity to be presented to the world because they loved you so much that they took half a second to do something and create content on your behest. So it's really celebrating the customer who loves true. Yes. Yes. Love that. Celebrating the customer who loves true and understanding that there are more out there than one might think. Yes. Because this brand has been very, very divisive over years. You either love it or hate it, so to speak. Mm. Well, it has a strong, it has a strong brand, you know, a pair of true religion jeans. You you know them. You can identify them. It's you, there are some things that are very specific towards about those jeans. You know them immediately, and so right. you either have an affinity or don't. But I think that taking a strong stance as a brand and having a strong brand is what makes a brand. I I completely agree with you, and and I think when you take that that mindset, connect it to essentially five pocket jeans, you can't lose. Everybody now wants to be able to define themselves on their own terms. Why wouldn't you wear product that helps you do that? Why would exactly. you want to look like everybody else? Why would you want to be like anybody else? True religion represents individuality to such a degree because it empowers you to just say, you know what? I love this. I don't care what you think. I don't care if you think it's in fashion. I don't care if you think it's not, it is or isn't. Like, I think that kind of power and confidence is what makes this brand so unique. And in a sea of sameness, allows the individual to be very um, identifiable and stand on their own two feet and kind of just speak, speak for themselves. I don't need anybody speaking for me. How much of your social media is focused on e-commerce and sales and how much is focused on uh, just building the brand and, and engagement and, you know, really the overall positioning of the brand? Yeah, that's a good question because we've talked a lot about this. I think that there's a lot of people that believe that social should be a commerce channel. Yeah. And yep. I don't, I don't agree with that at all. I'm sure that there's ways to think about it. I'm sure there's ways and companies out there that'll say, oh, well, I can help you do that. Instagram is not a sales tool. Instagram is a content tool. It's a tool to share 
people's thoughts and feelings and, and, and life moments in a visual way. Mm. If you want to talk about commerce, Facebook is probably more likely the channel for commerce because they have a way to which ads can be served. Obviously Instagram does too, but, but it's a little bit more refined, I would argue, um, in Facebook and quite frankly, maybe used that way. The data is yep. used that way specifically. Yep. Whereas I don't think that Insta is um, in that zone yet. What makes me yeah, nervous. Yeah, I mean, their shop now stuff is, is just really taking off now versus yeah. Facebook. You've been conditioned to shop through there. Totally. And, and, and the shop now stuff on Insta is directional. It's fine. doesn't mean yeah. that you're going to um, necessarily convert but I still contend that all these communication um, channels are really intended to entice consideration. People don't convert every five seconds. You know what I mean? Like you still have to be romanced. You still have to think through, you know, how are you going to get information to the variety of people that you want to speak to in a way that, that emotionally connects with them so that when they are ready to make a decision on buying something, you're top of mind. Love it. Okay, we're heading on over to the lightning round where I am going to ask you three (laughs) questions and you are going to answer whatever comes to the top (laughs) of your head. Whatever comes out, there's no wrong answer. Oh, dear. Are you ready? I'm as ready as I'll ever be. Okay. Tara, if you could use only one social network for the rest of your life, which would you choose and why? Instagram, because I'm visual and because to me, an image is, is priceless. There's, there's not enough value in image these days. I think people need to take more care in creating image and, and I will forever be a photography fiend. Love it. If you could choose one age that you would be forever, what age would you choose and why? Oh, good God. That's a hard one. That's a rotten one. Uh Uh-huh. I think I would say there's not an exact one, but I would say probably somewhere in the early 40 range. Really? Yeah. Early because, 40 range. How come? Yeah, because I was still trying to figure out my head from my, you know what, in my 20s. Yep. yep. I spent my 30s um, working, you know, day and night like to crazy. try to achieve. Yep. yep. And then when I got to 40, 41 was actually a really good year. And I feel like 41 was where I was like, you know what? This is it, man. This is what you got. You got this, this face, you got this hair, you got this body, you got this mind. This is who you are. Yeah. And it's, it ain't nothing wrong with it. And there's no reason to change it. Just figure out how to embrace it and push it forward instead of continually looking backward and thinking you could have done something differently. Just move ahead. And shut the hell up. I think I would be just a little bit older. I want, I think like I want my, the other thing I wanted was my kid. If my, if my kids were a little older, I'm not, I'm not too old that I'm not like feeling well. Like I still want to be young yeah. and vibrant. So forties, yeah. but I think I would be late, late forties. I'm not sure yet. I have to be, cause well, I'm mid forties now. Yeah. I see, think, I'm late, I'm late forties now. And yeah. I, and I, I'm going to argue that probably if you were to ask me this in like three years time, I'd probably say 50 is probably the age I'd yes. want to stay at. Yeah. But, yeah, I, yeah, but yeah. I'm not there, but I'm not there yet. So I don't You're know. You're not there yet to say it. Right. I think 50 is like it. 
because you're, you know who you are. You don't give a shit. Like you just, this, this is who you are. Like this is it. And you're in an age where you've worked your butt off. You've gotten to a great point in your career, hopefully. And you're feeling really good and you have acquired what you want to acquire and you're just living life. I, I, I think 50 is my aspirational, but I agree with you on the early 40s as well. I think so. You know, it's funny because I had my daughter quite late. I was 36 when I had her and I didn't work yep. for a couple of years because I was able to stay with her for a little bit. Yep. So I, I always think back sometimes and wonder if I didn't, if I went back to work immediately, would I be somewhere different than I was today? And I don't think I would be, but I, but I also think that when I was in my early 40s, you know, with a young child working yes in the same way that I was working before yeah. I had her, yep. I found myself just accepting so much more yes. of what was in the mirror yep. than I had done previously. And, I, and I'm not sure if that was because I had finally had her and was able to kind of look at it and go, it ain't that bad. The only thing yep. I get nervous about 50 is I don't want my ass to fall anymore. I know, I know, this, but you know what? Your ass is always going to look good because you're going to be in true religion jeans and you're going to look damn right. good. That's, that's it, girl. Right. We that's know. Right. I think on that, on that, we don't even need another lightning round question because that just ended it right there in perfection. <laughs> we are going to have gorgeous asses in our 50s in our true religion jeans looking great. By the way, I had babies at 26. 30 and 38. So I'm basically wow. out of my mind. I've run, I've had in every age. And I think 38 was actually the best because good you're older. You. You, you have like, you're like in a good space. Um, and Absolutely. so for me, I think it was like, it, I don't know. It's, it's a really, it's interesting with, with when you have kids and what the, what the impact is, but that'll be another podcast for us. We'll have to have I you back on, on a, on a separate show. But Tara, it was great to have you on the show. Thank you so much. You are one fabulous social lady. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. That was all the social ladies. Don't miss new episodes every week. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And if you like what you heard, please rate and review the show. I'm Carrie Kirpin, CEO of Likeable Media and author of Work It, Secrets for Success from the Boldest Women in Business. Follow me at Carrie Kirpin everywhere. And for more social smarts, be sure to follow Likeable at Likeable Media. Thanks for listening. Uh-huh. Uh-huh.